friends, and welcome to another episode of Booklist Shelf Care, the podcast, where we talk all things reader's advisory, collection development, and reference right into your little ears. I'm your host, Susan McGuire, here to guide you on our journey through all things bookish and library land. This episode's journey keeps us pretty close to home because it's time for editor's choice. Yes, it's true. You blinked, time passed, and now it's the end of 2021. Say what you will about the past year, and there is surely plenty to say about it, but it was a good year for books and reading. Lest you have any doubts, pick up our January issue and gaze your weary eyes upon the bounty that is our robust editor's choice and top of the list, or keep listening to hear bookless editors talk about trends, hidden gems, or favorites from the list, or, you know, do both. Once again, we were unable to gather in person to record this episode together. We'll get there one of these days. So everybody sent in a voice note with their picks from the editor's choice list. Please enjoy these messages from Donna Seaman, Sarah Hunter, Heather Booth, Maggie Reagan, Susan McGuire, who is me, Julia Smith, and Annie Bostrom. Don't worry, all of the titles mentioned will be listed in the show notes at booklistonline.com slash shelf hyphen care. Here we go. Hello, fellow book lovers. I'm Donna Seaman, adult books editor for Booklist, here to talk about this year's top of the list winners and some of the titles on the adult books editor's choice list that I'm especially enthusiastic about, although I'm jazzed about all of them. First up, the 2021 top of the list winner for adult nonfiction, Chasing Me to My Grave, an artist's memoir of the Jim Crow South by Winford Rembert and Aaron I. Kelly from Bloomsbury. I was stunned by this memoir and story and paintings. Winford Rembert, born in 1945 and who died this year, recounts with remarkable candor his life in rural Georgia, where he faced the tyranny of racism, ultimately surviving a near lynching, incarceration, and chain gangs after participating in a 1965 civil rights demonstration. This is a chronicle of terror and suffering, but it is also a love story about Rembert and his wife Patsy, and Rembert's paintings on leather are magnificent in their dynamic patterns and passionate resistance to hate and injustice. The top of the list winner for adult fiction is The Sentence by Louise Erdrich from Harper. Like so many readers, I've been dazzled and enlightened over the years by Louise Erdrich's illumination of Native American life, past and present. Her insights into the tangle of families and communities, her deep accord with the American landscape, and her sharp wit. The sentence is a glorious synthesis of Erdrich's signature themes and phenomenal gift for creating complex and surprising characters and provocative predicaments. She even brings herself into the story since much of the novel is set in her actual bookstore in Minneapolis, Birchbark Books, which is being haunted by the ghost of a difficult customer during the COVID-19 pandemic and the protests over George Floyd's murder by a Minneapolis police officer. In all, this is a many-faceted inquiry into how and why books are essential to our well-being. Another novel celebrating the power of books and places dedicated to books is Ruth Ozicki's The Book of Form and Emptiness from Viking, a wondrously imaginative and compassionate tale. It portrays books as entities with feelings and thoughts and a public library as a sanctuary for an unlikely trio of misfits. 
Books are not the only form of writing that shapes lives in fiction titles on Booklist's editor's choice this year. In Martita, I Remember You by Sandra Cisneros, a box of old letters from two friends awaken memories of the narrator, Karina's, adventures and struggles in Paris when she was young. This evocative novella, translated by Liliana Valenzuela, is published in both English and Spanish in one lovely volume from Viking. And to wing back to nonfiction, I must praise popular science writing at its most vivid and revelatory in two books I cannot stop thinking about, each a powerfully effective mix of memoir and field notes by an exceptional woman scientist facing personal and professional challenges while making epic discoveries that deepen our understanding of the wonders and interconnectivity of life on Earth. Which two books are these? Below the Edge of Darkness, a memoir of exploring light and life in the deep sea by Edith Witter from Random House, and Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Suzanne Samard from Knopf. Thanks for getting the word out about Booklist's top-of-the-list winners and all the titles on Booklist Editor's Choice List are the best in 2021. Read on. Hi, Susan. This is Sarah, editor of the Books for Youth section and the Graphic Novel section at Booklist. I'm going to tell you about my favorite editor's choice books. I'm going to tell you about my absolute favorite one first. It's a book I can't stop thinking about and I want to recommend to everyone, and that is Himawari House by Harmony Becker. It's a graphic novel about a Japanese-American woman taking a gap year in Japan before she goes to college to get closer to her roots and her heritage. And the thing that I love the most about it is the way she tackles a language barrier. So in each of the speech balloons, you see English, and then immediately below it, you see Japanese or Chinese or Korean. There are a bunch of different language speakers in the book, and they're all working on figuring out how to communicate in their literal different languages, but also across uh, cultural divides and age divides. And it's all about communication and miscommunication. And it's just so smart. The art is fantastic. And the way she deals with language is just totally innovative. It's something I've never seen before. And I absolutely love it. Another one I'd like to talk about is a picture book called Bubbles Up. I don't remember who the author or illustrator is, but this is another book that I think really plays with language in a fun way. The illustrations are super buoyant and the way the words are formatted on the page just like captures the effervescent joy of a day at the pool on a hot summer day. It's about a kid who just loves being in the pool, loves swimming around, doing handstands, watching the bubbles float around. There's a thunderstorm and everybody has to get out of the pool. But then she's like thrilled to like go back in immediately. And I just really remember feeling that strongly about swimming when I was a kid too. So uh, it really captured that feeling of just unbridled happiness about being able to swim in a really fun, playful, visual style. And then the last book... Actually, I'm going to talk about two more books. I'm going to talk about a couple of novels. The first one I want to talk about is This Poison Heart by Callan Bayron. This is a cool fantasy novel based on Greek mythology, starring a girl who can make plants grow just by touching the ground. 
And she also has this like strange immunity to poisons. And one of the things I just loved about this book was the lush writing style, the descriptions of all the plants growing. I felt like I could feel leaves brushing my face. And that was just such a great experience. And it's just a really solid fantasy novel. It subverted some of the the genre tropes that I kind of get annoyed with, like the main character, uh, didn't try to go it alone. She like knew she needed help and like talked to her parents and talked to other people in the town. And it was the really subtle way to like undercut some of the stuff that you typically see in fantasies um, and just like stunningly well-written. And then the last book I'm going to talk about is When We Were Infinite by Kelly Loy Gilbert, which is just such a sucker punch of a book. It's about a girl who is getting ready to graduate from high school and is panicked about losing the connection she has with her this close-knit group of friends. She loves music, and she's trying to decide whether she is good enough to pursue a career in music, whether it lives up to her parents' expectations. And she's dealing with some mental health struggles that sort of come to the surface over the course of the book. And she really learns how to take up space for herself and to trust her own instincts and to feel okay being her own person and using her voice and feeling anger. And it's so tightly focused on this one character. It's just like one of the most intensely character-driven books I think I've read in a really long time. And the author just does a fantastic job of like really digging into the interior thoughts and motivations of a character who's like really, really trying to just figure out how to be in the world. And I think that's such a satisfying YA novel theme, uh, because I think that resonates with so many kids in that age group who are just trying to figure out who they want to be. So those are my favorites. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to blather on. Bye! Hello, it is Heather Booth here. I'm the audio editor at Booklist, and I'm going to share some of my favorite picks from the editor's choice for audio. Let's start with Finnegan's Wake by James Joyce. Not a new book, but a new recording. In fact, it's the first unabridged recording of Finnegan's Wake. It's read by Barry McGovern and Marcella Riordan. It's put out by Naxos. This is a massive endeavor. It's almost 30 hours long, and both Barry and Marcella are Dubliners, native-born, and bring such a beautiful musicality to Joyce's words. They know Dublin, they know the intricacies of the language and of the location, and it's just a wonderfully authentic recording that brings something to a very complicated text that makes it so much more accessible for many of us listeners. Our reviewer recommends just having it on as you could even listen to it as a background sounds because of the beauty of the language and there's also music arrangements that are woven through it by Roger Marsh a wonderful production another one to look for this year is narrated by last year's top of the list narrator Adoja Ando her recording of Island Queen by Vanessa Riley is just mind-blowing. She has such an amazing grasp of accents, of different tonalities for different characters. This is another book, just like The Girl with the Louding Voice, where the main character undergoes significant transformation over the course of the novel. Here, she's aging from youth into becoming a, a grandmother and also developing from a person living in enslavement to a wealthy business owner herself. In addition to that, it takes place in the Dutch West Indies in the early 1800s. And so there's a lot of different accents from different parts of the world 
that were converging in this location for economic benefit. Something else that's notable in audiobooks this year is an increase in narrations by Native authors of Native books. So a great example of that would be My Heart is a Chainsaw by Stephen Graham Jones, read by Cara G. So here's another example of an audiobook where having the right narrator reading the right text really is a formula for success and brings a lot more authenticity to the text and is able to bring the listener in to understanding the book in a way that they might not, had there not been such a beautifully perfect narrator-text pairing. One that I really enjoyed listening to and reviewing this year was Miracle and Wonder, Conversations with Paul Simon. This is a audio original put together by Malcolm Gladwell and Bruce Headlam, who also co-host a music podcast. This feels totally unlike any other audiobook. It feels much more like a podcast, in fact, because of the way that it winds interviews together with music. It's not just talking to Paul Simon, but it's talking to collaborators, to artists who've been inspired by his work, and also includes a lot of Malcolm Gladwell's own thoughts and musings about the origin of genius and how Paul Simon exemplifies this. As a lifelong Paul Simon fan, I really thoroughly enjoyed this, and I encourage anybody who is at least a little bit interested in Simon's work to take a listen. It was really enjoyable. The last adult book I want to mention is another one that I reviewed, and is a good example, I think, of the fun that can be had in audiobooks. I feel like the top of the list pick this year for audio, A Master of Gin, is another one where you see the fun that can be had by a narrator in audio. For this one, The X Talk by Rachel Lynn Solomon and read by Emily Ellett does such a nice job of really playing with voice. The book takes place in a public radio station. The main character doesn't feel that she is of the caliber of voice that would be on the radio, but it's always been a lifelong dream of hers. In this narration, Ellet really differentiates between the main character's personal voice and the voice that she uses when she's on the radio, as well as switching very quickly and fluidly to the professional radio voices that surround the main characters. This also, it takes place in Seattle. It includes a lot of characters that come from diverse backgrounds, and Ellet does a lovely job of hinting at ethnicity and background without hammering it home in a way that would be inauthentic for her. It's a great, fun read. It's really enjoyable, and I think in the midst of a lot of serious audiobooks with very dramatic narrations, this one is a, a nice, lighter touch that shows really the skill that comes through in genre fiction narration. On the youth side, the first title that I want to mention is The Outlaws Scarlet and Brown by Jonathan Stroud, read by Sophie Aldred. When the reviewer talked to me about this book, she was gobsmacked. She said, this reminds me of Catherine Calgren, who is many audiobook fans' favorite narrator, who is sadly no longer with us. So anything that brings to mind a narrator who we lost much too early is something to seek out. The narrator here is Sophie Aldred, and she brings in so many wonderful variations of British accents. It really enlivens the text and creates a fantastic adventure. A familiar voice that came back this year to record a sequel is Lin-Manuel Miranda, who came back to narrate the sequel to Aristotle and Dante, Dive into the Waters of the World by Benjamin Aliri Sanz. So Lin-Manuel Miranda is now a household name, but when he recorded Aristotle and Dante's story the first time, fewer of us knew him. 
When I heard that this book was coming out, I doubted that Miranda, with all of his many projects, would come back to do an audio recording. But sure enough, he did. And we are so grateful that he did because it's just a lovely, very quiet, emotion-filled, beautiful homage to the love story that these two boys share together. And it's definitely not to be missed if you enjoyed the first book at all. Finally, I want to end with Kaleidoscope by Brian Selznick, read by Gwendolyn Christie. Selznick's books always present a challenge for narration because they include those fantastic pencil sketches that are so mysterious and evocative and so cleverly woven into the text. But here, Christie uses such a wonderful dream-like tone in her narration, and there are production effects woven all the way through the text that Scholastic has put together that really highlight what great audio books can do when they're using audio as a format to explain a printed text without the visuals. So those are a few of my favorites. I hope that's been useful for you. Every book on this list, I think, is definitely worth a listen, and I would love to hear what you think. Hello, home listeners. I hope you're all hanging in there. I'm Maggie Reagan. I'm a senior editor in the Books for Youth department. And today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about love stories. So I don't know how many of you felt this way, but for me, 2021 was a year where it was really hard for me to care about anything. And as I was going back through the list of books that did sort of jump out at me from this past year, I noticed that I really latched onto romances. And that's a genre that can get overlooked or dismissed a lot, definitely an adult, but also for teens, which I think is sort of a bummer because for some teens, those early love stories can be really defining. So most of the books that I really clung to this year were actually sapphic romances, which there's still not a ton of them, but there are more than there used to be. And there's one in particular that I want to talk to you guys about today, which is Dahlia Adler's Cool for the Summer, which came out... I want to say in kind of the middle of the year. I think it published in, yeah, in May 2021 from St. Martin's Wednesday Press. So this book is about a girl named Larissa who has been in love with this boy named Chase basically forever, but she's so much shyer than all of her friends that he's never noticed her at all. But then their senior year of high school, she rolls up in the fall with a super cool new haircut and a bucket load of confidence, and he just is suddenly head over heels for her. So this would basically be everything that she's ever wanted if it wasn't for Jasmine, who's the girl that Larissa spent her summer with, who's also the person who's inspired her new confidence and the person that she suddenly can't stop thinking about. So I loved basically everything about this book. It's sweet, it's sexy. Larissa has a wonderfully relatable voice. But I think the best thing about it, especially for teen readers, is that it really highlights the importance of knowing and accepting your own wants in a relationship, as well as giving those desires just the space they need to grow and develop as you grow and develop. A quick shout out to a couple other favorites this year, Nicola Yoon's Instructions for Dancing, which was a romance with a side of fantasy, and Margaret Owen's Little Thieves, which was fantasy with a side of romance. And this one features a couple of demisexual characters, which was really exciting because there's so little asexual representation today. So this was not the best of years to live through, but there is some great stuff out there to keep you going if you're in the mood for it. Susan McGuire here, and I'm going to talk about a couple of personal standouts from our adult editor's choice list. First, I can't stop thinking about A Thorn in the Saddle by Rebecca Weatherspoon, which was published by Dafina. It's a thoroughly modern Western romance. It's enemies to lovers. It's Beauty and the Beast. Is there anything more fun? Jesse Pleasant is tall and, despite his name, grumpy, and he owns a luxury dude ranch in charming California with his family. 
Lily Grace LaRue is a tough, unbothered tech consultant with a skin condition, Vitiglio, who's had it with Jesse and his anger issues. The book is steamy, it's angsty, there's a fateful bachelor auction, basically it's everything you want in a contemporary romance. Sandra Brown is a name that probably everyone who's listening knows, and normally I wouldn't spend a lot of time suggesting such a well-known author since you know readers are going to be able to find her, but I really, really enjoyed her latest, Blind Tiger, published by Grand Central. In some ways, it's exactly what you'd expect from a Sandra Brown book. It's got great characters, romance, suspense, but this is also 500 pages of moonshining and gunslinging, a rare historical novel from her. Laurel Plummer has lost a lot, so she's determined not to lose her father-in-law, even after she finds out that his late-night rides are actually illegal moonshine runs. Thatcher Hutton just rolled into town, he literally jumped off a freight train, and is immediately and unwillingly deputized, which puts him at odds with Laurel and her new venture. But, also, they're falling in love. It's got moments of violence and heartache and comedy, especially Thatcher's dry wit. I would describe this book as a real hoot, and that is a compliment. The last book I want to mention real quick is Light from Uncommon Stars by Raika Aoki, which was published by Tor. It's one of those speculative fiction novels that's also really grounded in reality, in this case Los Angeles and its environs, especially the Asian neighborhoods there. Katrina Nguyen is a young trans violinist who escapes an abusive household for Los Angeles, where she becomes the latest student of Shizuka Satomi, an infamous violin teacher known as the Queen of Hell. But Satomi's focus is divided by Lan Tran, a donut shop owner who's also an interstellar refugee, for reals. It's a warm, ultimately hopeful novel about music, found family, and finding one's place in a difficult world. Our reviewer, Leah Von Essen, called it a joyful, queer, radical ballad of a story, and I could not agree more. Thanks for listening. Hello, this is Julia Smith. I am a senior editor in the Books for Youth section, and this year for Editor's Choice, I was looking at a lot of the middle grade novels. And one of the things that jumped out at me was how many awesome books we had that were in the historical fiction genre. And I feel like sometimes that one can be written off by people as potentially boring. You know, they want excitement and magic and adventure or like just really heartfelt stories that are easy to identify with. And I would say that the books on our list managed to check all of those boxes even though they are historical fiction. So there's a lot to it other than like that surface level sort of understanding. And I will just highlight a couple that I particularly loved. The List of Unspeakable Fears by J. Casper Kramer and put out by Athenaeum was awesome. It's got some horror and mystery It's set on North Brother Island in New York City, which is where people were sent for treatment and sort of isolation when they had a highly contagious disease. And the premise is that the protagonist's mother has just married the doctor stationed on that island and they have moved there. So that is horrifying in its own right. But the Essie is the main character. She has a lot of anxiety and being there ends up 
helping her face a lot of those. And she sort of sleuths around the island and, and she comes upon Mary Mallon, who is, you know, Typhoid Mary. She is there. So that's kind of a fun cameo by historical figure. Anyway, it's wonderful. I highly recommend it. We also have Salt Magic by Hope Larson with art by Rebecca Mock, which is a graphic novel. And it takes place after World War One. And in that one, you have adventure and witches and magic. And so it doesn't have to be like a strictly rooted in reality story to be historical fiction. So I think that's also a good reminder and might get some kids to to dip in where they might be hesitant otherwise. And for younger readers, we have The Secret of the Magic Pearl, which is a really like whimsical, wonderfully illustrated early chapter book that sort of looks like Wes Anderson put it together. And it is a boy whose family has a business that is driven out of business by a rich competitor at a marina. And so like he has a great love of the sea and has dreams of being a diver like his dad and grandfather. And, you know, but that is put at risk when the competitor comes in and and prices them out of tours and, and things like that. But of course, he persists, and there's a little adventure tied in there and some good lessons about how to treat people. And it just, it doesn't feel like historical fiction. It, it feels a little more like fantasy. It's just sort of this picturesque little town. And I think kids are going to get really drawn in by the artwork of that one. I think that should do it. Those are our three from our middle grade section, but we have, I think, about five or six of the selections this year were historical fiction. And we talked about, you know, do we need to diversify that? And really settled on if these were the the strongest and most loved titles that we were reading, then let's just have a, a strong year in that genre. And that's what we did. So I hope you enjoy them. Thank you. Hi, Susan. It's your mother. Just kidding. It's your adult books colleague, Annie Bostrom. And I'm going to make that joke every year that you make me do this. Isn't it funny? (laughs) For real though, thanks for the opportunity to talk about my favorite books from our editor's choice list for 2021. I have to start with our top of the list adult graphic novel, which is And Now I Spill the Family Secrets by Margaret Kimball, published by Harper One, which is such a beautiful graphic memoir. When the author was in her late teens, she found out that her mother had attempted suicide when Kimball was just a young child. And this revelation leads Kimball to just kind of search high and low in her family to uncover what had been going on in her mother's life then and what else she doesn't know about her family. So this is really a like decades plus long project in the making. Kimball is an illustrator and lettering artist in addition to being a writer. And her black and white illustrations here are so stunning. Part of her project, she says, is working against the silence she remembers growing up. And, you know, this is like surrounding her mother's mental health and her parents' divorce, especially, but just in general, like 
of family silence. So she makes this very interesting choice to draw her frames completely without people in them. And many of these are the interiors of homes and the maps of the towns that she's lived in, which gives a very haunting effect. And you really want to pour over these precise scenes and interiors as she tells her story over them, often labeling the little objects in the background. And then when she does illustrate herself and her family members, she's always doing so from film stills and photographs, which makes this very realistic way of seeing someone else's family memories, because isn't that how we see and imagine our own? And in a time when we are seeing so many necessary and groundbreaking works about mental health for umpteen bajillion good reasons, Kimball's work here is so particularly extraordinary to me because by focusing on the real individuals in her family and without saying so explicitly, she reminds us that diagnoses are only one side of the equation when it comes to the people we love and when it comes to ourselves. And they're important, but that the work really lives in making sense of how we live with the minds that we've been given, how we love those of our loved ones. And it's just, it's such a deep and painful and beautiful story. And I can't recommend it enough. I thought about it for weeks afterwards. I'd also like to give a shout out to Lauren Groff's Matrix, published by Riverhead, which was the historical novel about a 12th century nunnery that I didn't know I needed to read this year. Based on the real person, Marie de France, this is the story of teenage Marie, who is cast out of the royal court of France and England due to her unmarriageable qualities, primarily that she is strong and plain and outspoken. She's sent from France to England to revive an abbey that's just gasping to survive, in this dreary place that feels utterly foreign to Marie, who had even been a child crusader. And it's just, it's a story of incredible transformations of Marie and her abbey, but also of just absolutely astonishing historical setting. It's so sensory driven, full of sights and sounds and smells. And it's really spiritual in a way that readers won't anticipate either. So I just can't say enough about this book, can't recommend it enough. And these two books just really broke the mold for me this year, and I hope you read them. Adieu! Wow, what a delightful crew of book nerds we are here at Booklist. Thank you to Donna, Sarah, Heather, Maggie, Julia, and Annie for sending in your thoughts and for just being great colleagues all year round. As for you, dear listeners, I hope your 2021 reading year was fruitful and exhilarating and that it gets even better in 2022. Happy reading! Happy reading!